0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Okay, and we're back, and joining us is uh, Dr. Diane Corcoran, and um, thank you for taking the time uh, on your busy schedule to uh, talk with us today.
0: Oh, I'm happy to do it. Oh, glad you could make
1: it. Um, so let's, uh, for the people listening in that uh, don't know who you are, let's 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 talk about uh, what it is that you do now.
0: I'm the president of IANS, the International Association for Near Death Studies, and have uh, essentially I'm a retired military officer, um, but I have been working in this field for a very long time since I first saw a patient in Vietnam who talked. To me about one of these experiences.
1: So so that happened to you back when you were in Vietnam. What made you go further into this, like uh, just that one it, encounter?
0: It, it really was that started it, and um, really it wasn't a great time being a military officer trying to talk about something that nobody was talking about, but I had... Um, the, the distinct feeling that this was something all doctors and nurses needed to know about because it was an intense experience, and somebody had to be there to support these patients. And so I kind of went on a crusade for the last 40 years to teach nurses, doctors, psychologists, social workers, clergy, because you can't assume... Um, for example, that they're clergy, they should know this. Um, one would think so, but not really. And now, of course, the experience is everywhere. It's on television. Every movie star has had a near-death experience, so it's much more um, known entity now. But when I started out, there really wasn't one book. Now there are thousands of people's experience and and lots of other books uh, talking about the near-death experience. So, yeah, it, it took that emotional experience of that young man for me initially to say, I think there's something there. And, of course, in 1969 there wasn't anything. So by the mid-'70s I started to hear about it. I was in graduate school at the University of Texas, so I started doing some investigation. Um, my work was really in decision making behavior, but uh, the thought of studying near death experiences also was very intriguing, so I used some time to do that and um it just one year led to another of um, following that up and trying to be more and more an advocate for these people and soldiers and um in the early days it wasn't easy. I think back and my god, I know some of my supervisors thought I was crazy cuz nobody was talking about it then. But
1: why do you think that was? Like what was uh, what was so bad about talking about this sort of thing back in oh. the late 60s?
0: Well, nobody knew what it was. The word wasn't out there. See, Raymond Moody didn't write his book to uh even coin the phrase near Uh, death experiences, till the mid-70s. So it wasn't that it was a bad thing. It's just nobody knew anything about it. And so then it wasn't till the 70s that people started talking about it. IANS was started and, you know, slowly things were written about it. Um, And so it takes a a long time for a brand-new phenomenon. Although it's been written about it in Plato and some of the philosophers literature, nobody really was quite aware of that.
1: So what what would you how would you uh put a definition like what is a near death experience then?
0: A near death experience is a set of criteria that are universal. There's about 15 of them. And it and they're all the same all over the world. That happened during a crisis. It could be a medical crisis. It could be a physical trauma. Could be an accident. It could be surgery. It could be an illness. um, It could be anything like that. And they go on to have one, two, or five, or fifteen of these characteristics. It was coined the near death experience because Raymond did his research with heart patients who have had cardiac arrest. So he was working with a population that um, almost died all the time. We've found that's not true anymore. There are many different circumstances where people are not near uh, death uh, so much as they might be very ill or have some kind of crisis.
1: Well, so, so how, do, how does that, Work? like what, How does that define? So if someone's got a head injury and they're not really near death, so what makes that work as a near-death experience?
0: Well, let, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, uh, somebody is uh, has, uh, well we can use a heart attack, um, and they are taken to the hospital and they're resuscitated and they see that their physical body they feel like they're uh, separating from their physical body and they're watching and hearing everything that's happening. And there's the immediate loss of pain. And then they might go further and some will talk about going through a tunnel or seeing a bright light and going to the other side of the veil is the description. Or I went to heaven and saw these beautiful flowers and I was greeted by departed loved ones who I knew, who were friends of mine or relatives that had already died, and I was uh, might be um, addressed by some kind of a superior being and told that I couldn't stay there. I went back. That is some of the; uh, those are some of the characteristics of the near-death experience. Just being near dead is just being near death. You might not feel or hear or think anything. So they're distinctly different. One is a physiological component that might accompany a near-death experiencer, but the other is an exceptional spiritual experience that changes people's lives forever. Well,
1: and so what? I think what I'm trying to get at, see, for me, um, I've had um, a heart attack. And mm-hmm. been in the hospital, but I've had none of this happen to me then.
0: Yep. I, okay. So, um, no. We don't know why. A question I get all the time. We do not know why some people have this experience and others don't. We don't think it has anything to do with necessarily good people bad people anything we just have no idea why some people have this experience and others don't
1: and so when we um have these NDEs and um you you describe some of the uh kind of some of the effects of what what people have said uh, do you find that it's almost always the same sort of experience for different types of people
0: Well, they're not the, they have similar characteristics, but everybody has a little different experience. Um, a child might say, I died, I went to heaven, I saw God, um, and I saw the angels. I mean, that's their experience. Um, somebody else might say, um, as I was going through this tunnel, I saw, um, different color bricks and I saw the light in front of me. Um, other, um, people have different um, experiences of the characteristics. So the tunnel doesn't always look the same. You know, uh, the other side doesn't look the same. But basically, they have a tunnel experience or they have, um, uh, uh, you know, an experience with music or flowers or smells. Um, but they aren't necessarily exactly the same.
1: And um, so now, would it be different? Um, would I be right in saying that it would be different sort of for the type of experience by what brought you there? So, for instance, if I was a uh, a soldier and I was in a in a in a combat of some sort and I was put into that NDE from that happening, do do they? Is there a different outcome or a different sort of way they go no. through it?
0: Not really. Uh, uh, Some will say, um, you know, because in many of these circumstances in combat a whole bunch of people are injured at the same time, like with mines or bombs, and they will talk about uh, seeing the other souls or spirits, whatever you want to call it, um, at, at the same time that they are raising out of their body. But they have typically pretty much the same ones. They might fly out of um, the, their body and go up. One soldier just talked about he felt like he was catapulting out above the universe and he could see the whole earth. And um, And he talked about that and very specific things about how he felt when he came back in. But their experiences are essentially the same. They're not... Uh, Different now are the after effects. There are very stinting uh, after effects for near death experiences, and their uh, availability to have somebody listen to them. That's very different for soldiers.
1: So why is it um, so hard? Is it just that um, they have a problem talking about it, or people just don't want to hear it? Like, what's where's the issue come up?
0: The issue, I think, it's twofold. Part of it is this is a very intense personal experience. And without somebody to validate that this was real, some of them, they've already got major physical illnesses and PTSD, some of them. So they're beginning to think they're going crazy. And the other part of that is there's very limited resources on the other side if they try to tell somebody. I know that I had a soldier tell me he went to the VA, tried to tell them about this experience and they told him he was bipolar and filled him full of drugs. And he was a mess until you know he found um, IANS and came in and we helped him identify the experience and what it was about and he eventually got off drugs and all experiencers need usually is some support, they need somebody to listen to them and own their experience, and they need some resources, they need some other things to read, they need to be able to talk about after effects and, and what that means in the big picture, because it takes a while to integrate this experience. They might have special gifts after, and some of the after effects would be very difficult to go back um, in the military into a combat zone. Right,
1: and so now they—do um, they have a higher percentage of of NDEs with like um, soldiers and stuff?
0: We we don't know. I would assume so because of the huge number of. TBIs and amputations that happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, I think it is probably true they have large numbers of soldiers out there with uh, having um, NDEs, but they're, you know, they're afraid to talk about it. They think people think they're crazy. They're afraid they're um, you know, some of their benefits will be taken, which probably isn't true, but they're afraid of everything. So it makes it very hard for them to talk about this, especially when there's no one in their provider realm um, that knows about it, that really understands it. You just can't assume that um, psychi- psychologist, psychiatrists, I once did a workshop only three years ago in San Antonio at a hospital and there was an army psychologist in the room and when I was done going through the characteristics, the side effects, the guidelines for helping, she she said she was just absolutely appalled that she had never been given any of this information in her training that nobody had ever talked about this and of course they're going to get people who have had these experiences and how are they going to identify them or um, separate them from actual other kinds of mental problems. I once went to the chief of psychiatry at the VA and said, I'm very interested in how you would separate someone who had a near-death experience from some young person who may have had a psychotic break because although um, they're distinctly different, somebody to the untrained eye could make mistakes about this, and her response to me is, what's a near-death experience? Mm. So if they have absolutely no information, it's pretty hard to know the details of how to be supportive and what some of the side effects, because the side effects can really be important. So
1: a lot of the problem is that the doctors and, and healthcare professionals don't really um, have the information.
0: Don't know anything about it, right? A lot of nurses know um, and they see it, but they don't may not know something what to do about it. Doctors are very hesitant, even though now we have a neurosurgeon and a, two orthopedic surgeons out on the lecture circuit who all three had NDEs. And didn't believe them to begin with. They they thought it was all part of a brain dying until they had one. And and now they can go out and talk to other doctors. And But, you know, it's always going to be a hard sell. They want absolute proof. And, you know, it's sort of like saying, how do you prove somebody loves you? And you can say, well, they're kind to me and they... This happens, and the same is true of the NDE. Well, you can say they have these characteristics, but scientific proof, they're working on it. But right now we understand there's a lot of work in consciousness where they understand that it's not in the brain. It's not associated with the brain. Consciousness does not have to exist in the physical brain. So there's a lot of um, work going on in that area and um, um, a lot of research to look at the different aspects but we have research to show how they exist in other countries um, how they exist in countries that don't believe in an afterlife and don't have it as part of their uh, religious um, dogma but people are having them all the time and so it's really um, just coming to its own, I think, with all the websites and articles and literatures. And we had a a young man, well, he's not a young man anymore, but he was a chopper pilot in Vietnam, and he was shot down, and he literally had the back of his head shot off, and he was taken to a hospital and uh, treated and had aspects of a near-death experience right then. He tried to tell the doctors about it, and they didn't want to hear it, and he never talked about it again until I actually met him in a Vietnam reunion. And when he started to tell me about it, I said, Michael, you had an NDE. I said, write this down for me. He wrote it down, and then he came to the conference this time, and for the first time ever, he got up and told his NDE. Well, here's this poor man hanging on to this for 40 years. Wondering what had happened to him.
1: Wow. And so is that a lot of the resolution for an NDE? Is just talking about it, being able to express it?
0: Well, that is a lot of it to just say, you're okay. This is normal. Yes, it's, it, you know, these things happen. Um, they certainly need information because there are some after effects. There uh, are some characteristics. They're going to wa- You know, want to talk about this happened to me. Um, so they need information and support, mostly. Very few need therapy unless it's uh, uh, combined with some other problems. Right,
1: and and so the information and support, I guess the media and a lot of the TV and stuff isn't really a credible source in this case, is it?
0: No, I mean sometimes they do a great job with it and other times um, they don't. I recently, not recently, but a while ago saw a show and the title of it was Near-Death Experiences. And the first person that got up was Jane Seymour, who was a movie star, and she told about her near-death experience. And the second guy was a truck driver who turned his truck over and almost died. So, I mean, totally two totally separate things, not related to each other, and so that sometimes is difficult. But I think they're getting more sophisticated we had um, news from China and other places at the conference um, wanting to transmit the lectures and this information I think it is getting around the world and more and more we're getting more people opening up and talking about it and uh, it's
2: We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step by step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member only content and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music exhibit c it's truly criminal
0: really helped with the doctors who have had these who are very articulate and you know many of them didn't talk about it for a while because afraid of what their colleagues would say
1: yeah it's a slow slow moving um, yeah. you know area and so now there's no real religion attached to any of this? You don't have to be a religious person or there's nothing that's really in any of these experiences you're not really attached to any of that?
0: No, we take a very non-religious approach. It doesn't matter. We've had people who are atheists, agnostics, you know, all kinds of people from all kinds of different religions that have these experiences and we don't try to Um, we really go to great lengths not to attach any religion to it.
1: And so how many of these near-death experiences are distressing or very um, intense in that way?
0: Well, we do have what's called a distressing or frightening NDE, but we hear very little about them. There's uh, um, Nancy Bush has written a uh, book about distressing NDEs because she had one, And she's been a long-time INS member and has integrated it very um, positively. But at the time, it was frightening. And uh, But we don't hear about it very often. Once in a while, in all my 40 years, I maybe have heard of three people talk about. One was because they felt very isolated and alone. Um, And, you know, so it, it... of course is hard to talk about because it's hard to talk about the positive ones.
1: Right, right.
0: So w- it, are there certain
1: characteristics or um, of, a, of an NDE that most people have?
0: Well, I mean, there are certain things that um, are more frequent. Uh, people feeling the sensation of coming out of their body is very... Um, having an out-of-body experience is very frequent, um, you know, and we have percents of X percent, you know, might see a tunnel and and other people that go to the other side and see departed loved ones. I think what's important for me at, when I was younger and trying to figure this out for myself, whether you know, what about this? Did I believe this? What did it mean? Um Seeing departed loved ones on the other side, and having children tell you about them really was one of the things that made this very real for me, because at the time kids, kids don't have a frame of reference. They just know what happened to them. They're not at the library reading about it. And when a you know four year old who's never been off the block, Um, tells you about going to heaven and meeting his great grandfather who died in a fire, um, in England, and he had all these details that actually even his family didn't know, but once they were told about it, went and researched to find out it was true. For me, that's, you know, that's really a strong indication that these kids aren't making this up, they're just telling their experience.
1: Right, right, kids
0: can be very honest, and uh,
1: uh, so how how do the children deal with it?
0: Well, if they're lucky enough to have parents who talk about it and they will try to tell you about it, and if these parents will listen and really journal for them because they might not always remember it when they grow up, I had a nephew who had a near death experience who i I noticed at about eighteen months, and I used to talk to him all the time about, and he'd tell me about light beings, and he had seen God and told him and ta- taught him things, and he would, the light beings would come around and teach him things, and he had some healing skills, and he would just go on and on about all these things. And I would um, encourage him to talk about him and, and, you know, tell him, well, that's good, find out about it, talk about it. And unfortunately, I wasn't home all the time since I was in the Army. Um, But interesting enough, he also had an encounter. Um, My father had died about six months uh, prior to my having a discussion with my mother, about don't be afraid dad might come back it's not unusual to see him you know these things happen and um... matthew was right behind me and my mother said oh i don't believe in any of that stuff and i said okay so i walked downstairs and matt came right down he's probably three or three and a half at this time and he says aunt diane i see grandpa here all the time and i said you do i said what's he look like And he says, well, you know, he has that sweater on he wears and he looks just like grandpa, but not so thick. And I thought, well, that's a great description of a spirit. And I said, well, do you talk with him? He said, not exactly. You know, he says things and they come in my brain and then I just have to think about it and tell him the answer and it goes in his brain. We don't talk with our mouths. And that's a great description of telepathic communication, which we know that's how people communicate. But, you know, in his little words, he he knew what that meant. And he has always remembered that. Many of the discussions we have, he doesn't remember anymore. Um, He certainly has a lot of the after effects, but he does remember the incident with my father.
1: Wow, that's something. So do, do, how do people change at the end of this? Like, do they come out of it with any big differences?
0: Oh, yeah. Children come out amazingly different. Uh, you know, you have a five-year-old that goes into this, and they come out, they're very mature, they're going to have a really enhanced vocabulary, they're going to be very, very smart and intuitive. Um, and they have incredible math and science skills and that sometimes relate to music. Um, there's a surgeon um, in upstate New York and was uh, electrocuted. And we, when he came out of it, he could play classical music. He couldn't even play the piano before. He could compose. And so a lot of people are given some really special gifts. They're more altruistic, you know, less materialistic um, sometimes have healing skills, so they come out as a very different person, which makes it really difficult if they're married to someone who is not going getting this difference and understanding that this is a lifelong difference. Now, this is not going to be something that you know just kind of comes and goes. Yeah. So I guess they're no
1: longer scared of death.
0: Oh, that's the probably the single most Uh, important part of it. They are not afraid of death and even those people who have attempted suicide and handed near-death experience, what we know is they are less likely to ever commit suicide again because they get it. They get that there's a lesson for them there. They have a life's purpose. It's not their job to determine when they die and so we don't have the same kind of occurrence of suicide uh, if they have an NDE. And there are, I mean, they're life-changing, both physical. Um, they can't wear, a lot of them um, have electrical energy issues. Um, we all have electrical fields around our body. And some experiencer come back and they just shut down computers, light bulbs uh, flash on and off and and will burn up. And they really have to learn to... Kind of relate to this stuff again. And it's amazing um, the, the after effects and how they can affect them. And if you're not, don't know what's happening about this, um, have great sensitivity to medication, um, more issues with allergies, their temperature might be lower. So there are a lot of things that could happen that. You know, would be important to know if they ever got sick or had to have surgery or something.
1: So, what are the um, key things that you'd suggest if you, if to a parent or somebody out there that had a child or have, has a child that has had this sort of experience? Um, what do you suggest for them to say or do, or how, how how should they help them?
0: Well, I think the best way they can help them is. Ask them questions, let them tell about it, don't try to interpret it for them, and journal this discussion you have with them. And it would be good for them to read about children and near-death experiences. PMH Atwater has written several books. um, And learn about the after effects because these are going to be very different kids. They're going to be more mature. They're going to think their peers are silly, and they're going to be smarter than everybody else they're going to be very creative and they abstract easily and they they might not want, they're not going to want to sit around finger paint with the rest of the kids you know their minds are going in a lot of different directions and it could be interpreted in public schools i think as disruptive when they're just trying to be themselves and talk about themselves and you know they see spirits talk to them. Uh, All kids do in a much higher rate, but these kids will really do that. And if people tell them that they're just making up stuff and harass them about this stuff, it could be very painful for them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I, I would
1: take it then that you sort of have a belief in afterlife now, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. After years of listening to the Um, anecdotal reports of people who have had these experiences. Um, It's very hard to deny some of the characteristics and the written uh, research that's done. And we have people who, you know, study the narratives and the after effects. And after all these years, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: so now you have written a book as well.
0: No, I've written a foreword to a book on. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't write the book. Uh, should I write a book? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and everybody keeps telling me that, and one of these days I'll do it when I'm not quite so busy.
1: Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, uh, w- so uh, what? What is it that you um, offer with your um, group and services?
0: Well, we offer education to – I used to do a lot of lectures every year. I go out and give lectures to community groups, hospitals, professional organizations, retirement homes, about what is an NDE and what are the after effects. Um, We have lots of resources in terms of articles and videotapes and uh, DVDs, and lots of material on our website. If you go to IANDS.org, you will find pages and pages of information. We have groups around the country, um, which you can find on our website, and they meet once a month and support people and uh, let people tell their stories, and they're very helpful in kind of letting people feel like they've come home. I can't tell you the number of people that came to this conference, because I always encourage people who are just getting used to an experience like this soldier. He said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. In the first lecture, I heard things that I have been asking for years. Why is this? Why is that? And He said, and they told me. He, he he was just overwhelmed with the amount of support and love, because these are loving people. They already get it. There's nobody there questioning usually about whether this happens or not. They're there to enhance their information and knowledge. And, of course, teaching is another part of our mission, and researching and Distributing the research. So we th- have a threefold really mission both for the experiencer to provide support and information and then the community to provide education and then to do the research.
1: And so, how do people get I- involved or how do they get to one of these conferences? Are, are they all over North America or?
0: Well, oh, um, every year we have one. Next year, uh, July 28th through 31st, it will be in Orlando, Florida. Um, and we um, we were in San Antonio last week. And you can uh, write, you, first thing you should do is join IN so you don't have to, you get a special discount to do that and get to know the organization. And then um, you plan to come, and it's a three days of just fascinating information. Even every time I go, and I've been doing this for forty years, I hear something new. We had a gentleman from Hungary who didn't speak English, who came all the way from Hungary with an interpreter to tell about his experience. We had um, somebody from Iran talked about the Korean. And, um, and NDE's. We had about seven nations represented and um, about 350 people from all over the country. That's fascinating.
1: Now, uh, one thing I was going to say, you know, do, do people ever have more than one NDE?
0: We do have some people. P.M.H. Atwater, who's the most prolific writer we have, she, she's written eight books. Now I think she's on her ninth. Uh, when she had her first m I think she was told that she would write seven books and she 's been um, she was directed to do that, and she did it uh, She did consequently though have three n d e s in one week and one week from the same illness, so she really had a lot of after effects and a lot of discussion and she 's been around for a long time she 's a great um, Uh, person to read her books, and the big book, and the book on children, and the book on after effects. Really, really excellent material. That's great. So now,
1: how do people get a hold of you, or um, if they need to contact the group or you about something, or they had
0: a question? They can call the organization, which is uh, headquartered here in Durham. It's 919 383 7940, and they will give you, or you can um, write them an email at IANDS um, at services.org. Uh, and they will get any questions to me, and um, lots of people will email me, and then I'll answer any personal questions they have. Uh, sometimes the staff can help them. Um, we're all about helping people and getting them in touch with the information they need so they're not isolated anymore and they feel included. Um, I often talk to people, I say, once you come to an IANS conference, you are part of a very big family that gets it. And we're here to help and support and love you for that.
1: Well, wow, that's a, a great service, and um, you know we appreciate uh, people like you that do things to help other people like that.
0: Well, we've—I've been doing it a long time. I guess it was my path to do this, and I still feel we have a way to go with the doctors and teaching. There are still people that don't really know what an NDE is, and I guess until that day comes where everybody knows what it is, then my work will be finished.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a pretty big journey there, you know. Um, you know, I guess the doctors really have to get on board, don't they?
0: They do, and, you know, bless their hearts. They, they sometimes just can't see uh, things unless it was written in their journal, although there have been articles in um, uh, the medical journals. Um, but a lot of them, once they experience it, like, uh, Ruben, um, Eben Alexander, who wrote Proof of Heaven, and Dr. Mary Neal, it's an orthopedic surgeon, um, and had this incredible, uh, um, experience from a kayak accident where she was held underwater for like 30 minutes. And it's quite a story. So, Um, they make a difference um, and out there talking about it and now we have some really wonderful speakers who really give people hope and give them information to help them find a way into their journey and through their journey
1: yeah well I really appreciate you taking time I know you just got back from one of the conferences and you're tired and um You know, thank you very much for being
0: on the show. Oh, it's great! Thanks very much for having me. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
2: Well, good night. This has been a production of the Z Talk Radio Network.
0: I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show.